the Viper languidly gets up and goes, so I'm going to be the champion. It says that there was an uproar in the courtroom, and you can imagine it, can't you? <laughs> I could just imagine the Viper getting up, just going, and I'll be the champion, hitting play, and two tribes go to war coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then just moonwalking back and forth in front of the panel. <laughs> yeah, he starts tagging hands in the crowd. As Lord of Frey used to say, with every wedding, there's a bedding. And there's a very loud bedding. Oh, it's wrong, isn't it? You know, usually when there's a sex scene, I find it bearable because you can just kind of put on Barry White in the background and it makes it funny. But this one, like, Barry White wouldn't be equal to the task. Barry White would crack into it and then two bars in he'd be like, you don't need me to be here, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go. I think the, the soundtrack to this would be Ride of the Valkyries. <laughs> Peter! <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 10 of... Is it 10? 11. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Shark Liveroyle's coverage of A Game of Thrones. This book? No. Start again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Right. Hello and welcome to Shark Liveroyle's coverage of George R.R. Martin's A Storm of Swords. This is part 11 and it is called The Mountain and the Viper. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Hello, you know what's coming now? <laughs> Is it my favourite bit of the week? It's your favourite bit of the week. Let me let me get straight into it. You see, George R. R. Martin's publishers <laughs> uh, have released this book, A Storm of Swords, as one big book or two smaller books. We're reading the two smaller book version, which means we're now on book two, A Storm of Swords 2, Blood and Gold. And if you're reading along with us, with these two-book version, we're going from page 338, which is a chapter about Jamie, which begins uh, something about a white book and a white tower and a white room. And we're reading as far as a chapter about Daenerys, which is Danny broke her fast under the persimmon tree. If you've got the single-book version, then just find those chapters in it. Or, even better, buy the two-book version. Why not? <laughs> I love that we're now in marketing for the two-book version, purely <laughs> to make our lives easier. <laughs> it couldn't be more difficult to break down into parts to read and discuss this book, because not only is it split into two sometimes, depending on which version you've got, also, I assume the page numbers are quite slightly different if you've got hardback or paperback, and there are no real chapters, it's just names, and then... Oh, I don't know. Anyway. It. It's almost as if... The publishers and makers of the Game of Thrones series don't give a shit about Shark Liver Oil. And quite frankly, Harper Collins, eh? The feeling's mm. mutual. Yeah. I, I, wanna, exactly. I, I like the idea of starting a rap style beef with a major international publishing house. Just gonna yeah. start talking smack about Harper Collins. Yeah, I reckon they'd be running scared. They would be. They running would be. Scared. They don't even know how to throw down. Mm. They haven't seen me throw down with books. Exactly. And when Dave throws down, he throws down. With books. He throws downtown. <laughs> down at Chinatown. I, I don't know what that means. Let's move on, shall we? Yeah. Uh, Jamie, the first chapter for today. Oh, Jamie. He's enjoying his promotion. He's now the Lord Commander of the King's Guard, so he gets his own swanky apartment rather than just one shitty room further down in the tower. So he's standing in that, in the main room, uh, with this big white weirwood table, and on it's a big white book. 
which is the book where the uh, all the members of the King's Guard throughout the ages have their lives written down in that book as sort of an early history. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. And the the person whose job it is to keep the record is whoever's the Lord Commander at the time. You think they give it to someone, you know, some scribe or maybe some, I don't know, septon, but it's actually the the Lord Commander who's in charge of doing it. <laughs> And um, it, it, it conjures the beautiful image, doesn't it, of a fellow who's been hired just because he's got big biceps with his tongue stuck furiously out the side of his mouth. Going, <laughs> and then I killed him in the bollocks. And then yeah. I killed the other fella in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing is the old Lord Commander, um, Barristan Selmy, who's obviously now over with Daenerys, um, before he fled... He actually recorded his own sacking in the book, Aww. which Jamie thinks is quite funny. <laughs> that was dedication, isn't it? I love that. That's a, yeah. that's a, he's missed a vocation there as a history teacher, hasn't he? He might be a badass <laughs> yeah. grandpa, but what he really loves is is accurate chronicling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, J- Jamie's flicking through the book, and he's sort of it's making him almost pine for the good old days when things were simpler. Yeah. He remembers this uh, massive battle in the Kingswood between um, this band of outlaws called the Kingswood Brotherhood mm. and the Kingsguard. And uh, there was this final final battle between the leader of the Brotherhood called the Smiling Knight and Sir Arthur Dane, who was the uh, this particularly talented member of the Kingsguard. Mm. And it, it's great. Uh, Jamie even remembers like the, uh, what they said, what the two fighters said to each other as they were going at it. And um, the smi- apparently the Smiling Knight's sword was notched in so many places that he needed another one halfway through the fight. Right. And um, the, the the guy in the Kingsguard, Arthur Dane, offered him a new sword. And he said, it's it's your sword I'm after. And he said, well, well I'll give it to you. And then ended up killing him. Hey! It's almost like... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost like uh, one of those old-fashioned knight stories as they sort of cracking wisecracks as the slashing away of the swords isn't it I don't know is that a feature of I'm not much of an expert on like old medieval literature but I, I don't feel like there's very many one liners in it no I don't I think yeah maybe not from the time but sort of what I mean by classic ones are sort of I don't know maybe oh, 100 this... years ago from today like yeah. how someone would write a, a medieval uh, drama story the sort of Walter Scott thing right the sort exactly of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it mind you I'm not saying I'm opposed to that like I'm I'm a big fan of hmm. um, I'm a big fan of the idea of guys dressed in massive armour proving themselves not with the strength of their sword arms but with the uh, sharpness of their wit I like that <laughs> yeah it's interesting that Jamie thinks about this this particular fight because he thinks when he was younger he he wanted to grow up and be like Sir Arthur Dane mm. and he feels he's become the smiling knight really um which is quite interesting. Yeah, hmm. That is interesting. Uh his next job he's he's basically waiting for the rest of the king's guard to arrive so they can hold a council. Uh, really much bit of a sort of getting to know you thing because oh, half of them have either died or been dismissed now. Yeah, but he's dropped the ball, hasn't he? He's not even provided little finger food. He's not even given nibbles, really. <laughs> yeah, no wonder no wonder he's struggling for respect. Yeah. Uh, now, he has a look around the table when they all arrive and he feels that this order has fallen quite significantly from the days of Sir Arthur Dane. Mm. Um, and he, he systematically goes through each one of them and um, and I don't know interrogates them over something. 
he he makes remember Boris Bloat, the useless member of the King's Guard who's somehow <laughs> still alive. <laughs> yeah, he's almost worth creating yeah. a new category of characters for, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. The Borises, the people who manage to <laughs> persist even though they're <laughs> fundamentally useless. <laughs> That's not satire, yeah, by the Boris. way. How's <laughs> Boris? How's Boris? We, we, we shall endure, yeah. no matter how rubbish we are. <laughs> we, we shall endure through sheer power of mediocrity. <laughs> um, Boris Blake, if you don't remember, uh, gave up uh, King Tom, or Prince Tommen when he was a prince, when uh, he was supposed to guard him with his life, mm. and he didn't. And uh, for this, Jamie... Uh, makes him the food taster from now on. Hmm. So before Tommen eats anything, Sir Boris has to eat it first, just in case it's poisoned. Uh, <laughs> he's not happy with this new position, Boris. Um, oh, man, it's so funny, though. Like, in this moment... <laughs> I know we had a long conversation last time about sort of about um, Jamie and his likability as a character. I am quite glad that in the book he, he wasn't quite as monstrous as he was in the TV series, because mm. I feel very comfortable liking him during this scene. And it's because mm, it's yeah. it, it's top. I mean, I I I I'm hesitate to use the word, but it's top banter, isn't it? Really, it's like <laughs> Sir Boris. I noticed that you abandoned the heir to the throne when he was in danger, and you're somehow still alive. Tell you what, <laughs> your chivalrous knightly duty will be the nibbles. <laughs> Yeah, and Boris Blow obviously doesn't like it, and he threatens to sort of duel with Jamie. Mm. And Jamie's like, "Right, let's do it." And then Boris backs down because he's a coward. Mm. And Jamie thinks actually that's quite lucky because he could probably kill me quite easily because I've no idea what I'm doing with my left hand. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's not just Boris who gets a, a tongue lashing. Uh, Osmond Kettleblack, who's one of the new knights, mm. uh, is questioned about his lineage and he's very shifty. And Jamie realizes that he's probably not even really a knight. Um, <laughs> I know. Which I, is a, I, I loved that scene though, because he says, "And uh, <laughs> who were you? Who were you knighted by?" And he just goes, "Sir Robert Stone." <laughs> <laughs> I guess better though. He goes, Sir Robert Stone, and he's dead. <laughs> you won't find him anywhere. <laughs> I tell you what it reminds me of. This is a bit of an obscure reference. But you know Flight of the Concords, the um the the radio series that Flight of the Concords did for the BBC. Yeah. There's one bit where there's a character who's clearly trying to ad lib a name for himself and he's in the kitchen, he just looks down and goes, My name's um Bernard Veneer. <laughs> And it's exactly that. And you've got to admire the chops and any serious high fantasy writer whacking in a comedy classic like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Samarian so, so Trant gets uh, criticised for the fact that he used to obey Joffrey without question, mm. even to the extent of doing things like beating up Sansa. Yeah. And uh, Jamie makes the point, you know, Tommen's eight years old, so use your brain. And yeah. uh, I think he says... If Tommen asks, if the if the king asks you to saddle his horse, do it. If he asks you to kill his horse, come to me. Mm. And it's it's obvious, isn't it? Yeah. But he seems he needs to spell this out to Marion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's quite good. I love the idea of sitting him down and giving him a second chance when he's been this <laughs> stupid. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's so strange to me in this whole world. Like what what gets you killed and what gives you a second chance. Hmm. 
I don't know. Like, you know, Boris yeah. gets to eat food and dude, Sumerian Trant is just sort of like, he's a nasty piece of work, but he's basically allowed to kind of carry on doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, Balan Swan, who's this guy who's fairly unimpeachable at the moment, is is whenever we've seen him, he's acquitted himself quite well, seems relatively honourable. He gets a question about who his brothers have fought for. It seems his dad is really quite the canny operator <laughs> and um, he's backed about four different horses in the Wars of the Kings. <laughs> so he's had Sir Balan Swan uh, serving the Kingsguard. One of his other sons, I think, fought for Renly. Uh, another one was fighting for Stannis, I think. <laughs> So he's basically saying, yeah, Jamie's basically saying, you know, if your brother came in tomorrow at the head of a rebellious army, would you fight him? Mm. Uh, you know, would you choose blood or honour the same way that Jamie had to choose, I suppose? Yeah. And and Balan Swan says that he'd choose the king. Yeah. Uh, and Jamie's like, a likely story. <laughs> I, I quite yeah. liked that because it was a rare example of Jamie's experience in the past both like seeming to weigh on him in a way that it kind of hasn't before because previously he's just been like we said he's been emo Jamie he's been in this place of like kind of nobody knows what it's like to be me I killed a king and everyone hates <laughs> me and it's been quite self-pitying but actually here you kind of see him be like like stand on that experience and be like yeah the king's god isn't all about having that nice shiny white cloak yeah um, so I quite like that because a bit of character depth. Always like yeah. a bit of character depth. Yeah. And then finally, he's just left with Sir Loras, who's the only other member who's not had a go at yet. Mm. Um, I think that Jamie believes that Sir Loras and Balance One are probably the only two who really um, deserve to be members of the King's Guard. I mean, the, the interesting thing is when he says, "You were all at the you're all at the wedding." And the king died, and none of you did anything about it. Hmm. Uh, and you know, but he basically says, you know, the king died on your watch. What were you doing? Mm. He says, oh, so Loras looks angry. Uh, Balance One looks ashamed, and the rest of them don't even know that they give a toss. <laughs> and that just shows how far the orders, because this is supposed to be the group that gives their lives for the king, yeah. and most of them aren't even that bothered which one, because you know, kings have been dying quite a lot recently, and yeah. as long as they continue in their place, yeah. they don't really mind. Yeah, and it's because the, because the Game of Thrones has become a game, and everybody seems to be quite happy with like, like with kind of continuing to play it instead of attempting to kind of like run the place well so it's mm. quite natural that people with this level of power would be the people who aren't there for the ostensible purpose of you know I mean it's like you could say that it's like it's like kind of way back when um, in Europe and the UK when bishops you know didn't nobody ever asked them if they had any belief it was about whose son you were or who you were related to or you know whether you wanted to run a particular part of the country yeah um, you know, so it's kind of like that, like the title and the role, you know, nobody's questioning the kind of real politic of it. And so it's all it's all going to shit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah there's, there's also an element of because the king keeps changing, you know, this is the new king, same as the old king, yeah. you know, sort of here's your new boss, same as the old boss. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually. Yeah. Although, the, although that's quite an insulting thing to say in this specific context, because Tommen seems quite nice. Yeah, and there was a world of a difference between Joffrey and um, and Robert as well. Actually, there really was, wasn't there? Yeah. But um, I, I enjoyed this uh, this conflict between Soloris and Jamie because Jamie feels that Soloris is sort of him, but when he was younger, all sort of cocksure and uh, arrogance, and Jamie's sort of saying to him, you know, I was 
knighted when I was younger than you and I was this and that and so Laura says yeah I know you're older than me uh, sir <laughs> and it's that um, it's that feel I think it's interesting it's a very although it's a very human uh, feeling for Jamie to have this of getting older and someone younger taking your place and the power of being younger than somebody yeah um, and being in a position even if you're in a slightly lower position you're feeling you've got the years to yeah to improve yeah and um, that's very much the case here we find out this this whole stuff about Sir Renly, about Renly's ghost and how Renly rode into battle it turns out that it was Renly's brother Sir Garlan mm. oh no no sorry Sir Loris's brother Sir Garlan who was dressed as Renly so now we know it was him in his armour. It wasn't Renly, zombie Renly, back from the dead. <laughs> yeah, and we've been waiting for the solution to that for a long time, haven't we? Cause it, and I'm quite mm. glad that it turned out just to be a ruse instead of yeah. George being like, kind of, look, more zombies. Zombies are ace. Fantasy zombies in armour fighting battles. <laughs> you know. Yeah. The other thing that happens here with this conversation, Jamie actually uh, convinces Loras that Brienne didn't kill Renly. Mm. And it's quite a, it's quite an achievement for a guy who, for years, has just let his sword do the talking, isn't it? Yeah, and I love this whole interaction. Like I said last time, like I I like very much the the kind of parallels between um, Jamie and uh, and Loris, and and they do come out quite nicely in this in this bit. Okay, let's let's uh, move on to uh, Sansa. Mm-hmm. She's arrived at the fingers, the fingers, which is uh, it's uh, it's little fingers home. It's Baelish's home. <laughs> I'd never realised that his his home, his name is a pun on his home. Yeah, that's that's really really funny. <laughs> <laughs> for all the um, for all the sort of danger that Sansa's been in, mm. she's still. <laughs> This is, I'm sure you'd have found this annoying because you, you have less patience with her than I do. But even I thought, the fact she's moaning about where she's ended up, she's like, oh, this is really dreary. <laughs> it's like, well, at least you're not in a prison cell. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, small mercies. Do you know what wound me up more about was that? But I've come to accept that with Sansa now. That's just like, that's just white noise. That sort of totally <laughs> clueless idiocy. Um, but the fact that she's, She's like, her internal monologue at certain points during this chapter is kind of like, oh, he's such a nice chap. He's looking after me. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, you know, and she just takes back on all of this identity of the like the kind of swooning maid, which yeah. you would have thought she would have realised was a crock of horse shit by <laughs> how she's been treated by everybody who expects her to just be the blushing maid. But no. No, she's all back, yeah. and with Littlefinger of all people, Littlefinger, who, yeah. by the way, in this chapter is the embodiment of creepy, stay away from this man, kids behaviour. <laughs> he is absolutely yeah. like if you knew somebody like Littlefinger, you tell your kids, don't talk to him. I mean, there's a bit here, there's a bit here where he's like, have some wine, it will help you get over the seasickness. Oh, will it? Will it lower my inhibitions as well at the same time? Will it? Interesting. <laughs> Honestly, he's like he's all but rubbing his thighs. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, um, he, I wasn't predisposed to like Littlefinger to start with, but like, come on. <laughs> uh, the plan is to go to the Vale, to the Eyrie, uh, where Littlefinger's planning to marry Lysa. 
Um, mm. he, he doesn't like his, he doesn't like his home either, does he? Oh, he's heroically dismissive, isn't he? Yeah. If you want to run, sum up how uh, how crap it is around Littlefinger's place, mm. um, one of his like one of the people who sort of live there and look after it for him um, by means of welcoming him mm. says there's a dung fire burning <laughs> the idea there's... of hearing that sorry carry on <laughs> yeah <laughs> welcome home sire there's a dung fire burning <laughs> <laughs> You'd be just like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've, I've just come from the capital. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not even that, he's, he, not even, he doesn't even get into that kind of like, oh, well, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. He's just like, every single thing he says to these people who've been waiting for him indicates that he could not give less of a shit about them. <laughs> yeah, and he met somebody, uh, Captain of the Guard, yeah. and he's, he's, he's the only guy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, and they, they're all they're, they're straight out of central casting aren't they, they I don't think any of them described as having hunchbacks but you can just imagine them all sort of quasi-modoing around the place you know sort of master you said there'd be more soldiers but I stand all the guards myself by myself with the dogs I do <laughs> good good carry on he's like he's like Littlefinger doesn't have the first clue how to actually be a lord but he's just decided to be as much of a knobhead as possible on the basis that yeah. that's what he's witnessed elsewhere. Also, what do you think of his um, his desire to marry Liza Arryn? Pro- probably not very high on many people's list of um, prospective life partners. No, although her title's fantastic. Her title is Warden of the East, is it? Yeah, she, that's but true. She's, she's basically on a par with what Ned was uh, up in the north. You've got, war- you got these... Yeah. You've, You've basically got all, all these lords and stuff, but the, the key ones are the king, obviously, mm. and then these wardens. So Ned was warden of the north, mm. and I think John Arryn, and then by definition, I think Robin Arryn, his little sickly son, is warden of the east. I think Tywin Lannister's warden of the west. So it's one of the key positions, this. No, if, right. That's why I think later on we hear that all these knights of the Vale have been sort of hanging around Lysa hoping she's going to pick one of them yeah. because it's such a great title to yeah, get yeah oh but, yeah. I, I I don't know I mean clearly I don't have the same kind of careerism as a knight of Westeros but she's mental like she's <laughs> she's not well you know mm. she she needs she needs the kind of well I don't know what she needs but I'm fairly certain she doesn't need to be a pawn in somebody else's game of political acquisition I wonder I wonder how much her needs really register on Littlefinger's radar <laughs> how much do the needs of any other person I'm beginning to think that he's been put in this to be like a proper copper bottomed example of the like the true psychopath you know the person who's literally mm. incapable of experiencing remorse or empathy because I, I don't think he does. Either. And I, he doesn't seem to be too bothered by Mariner either. He's just sort of like, oh, this is what I need to do. Shaggy, shaggy, shag. Yeah. I think it's interesting, just as a little aside, that Littlefinger's, Littlefinger's sigil is actually, the Baelish uh, sigil is the titan of Bravos's head. Hmm. So it's massive, giant's head. Um, and Littlefinger's almost, he's decided he doesn't like that. He's changed it to a little mockingbird instead. <laughs> yeah. And it just shows his preference of 
I don't know, there's fist in the velvet glove over that, you know. Yeah. A more overt power. Yeah, a mockingbird as well. Like, that sums him up, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Uh, Sansa is told to have a cover story. Mm. And it's uh, she's going to be called Elaine. And it's going to be... They're going to tell everybody that she's uh, Baelish's bastard daughter. Mm. Um, and even now, Sansa's worried about some of the details. She doesn't want to have a story where she's... You know, too much of a you know daughter of a daughter of a whore or something. So yeah. they come up with this elaborate backstory for her. Bloody um, hell! Which is interesting. Yeah. Were you amazed at how quickly she went along with this? Because I would have thought there would have been a bit of residual mistrust since she's been stolen under false pretenses by this. She's been kidnapped basically by somebody who then shot the guy who she trusted. And and all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to take away your name, yeah, and rename you something else. I mean, this is again, this is this is like sex predator territory. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> going to give you a new name, like, and she's just like, oh yeah, yeah, it's fine. Has she learned nothing? Like, I, I'm, ge- I was genuinely astonished. What did you think? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, not so much. <laughs> she's not got well, She's not got many options, has she? I don't know what she oh and uh, and she sees him as sort of saving her from she felt like she was in prison at King's Landing didn't she mm. so that I don't know maybe there's a hope that she's being liberated and taken to to somewhere better now but um I mean I suppose she doesn't have a lot of reason to mistrust Littlefinger what has he done specifically that she she's seen that she should see as a sort of a red line well I suppose she wasn't ever raised not to take wine from strangers who've had her kidnapped and then shot her protector <laughs> I mean you're right you're right really Littlefinger's done nothing nothing suspicious near her has he? she's no reason not to trust what what <laughs> well um, yeah it's an interesting relationship isn't it? <laughs> and then some by the way <laughs> we we find a couple of other bits and pieces about Littlefinger's scheming. Uh, apparently, the Kettle Blacks, who uh, let's let's just break this down because it's quite confusing. There's this group of three brothers called the Kettle Blacks, who uh, Cersei brought to court, thinking they were going to serve her, but actually, uh, Tyrion had already met them and had them serving him. Hmm. But actually, Baelish had already met their dad and got them to all, to all serve him. So they're sort of triple, quadruple agents. They really don't and seem clever all... enough to do that, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Why this one family? I just yeah. don't get it. But anyway. They must think all of, their, all of their pigeons have finally landed. Do you know what I mean? Just like they're sort of bumbling mm. along, being ineffectual and useless, and then all of a sudden they're... They're everybody's favourite undercover operatives. Yeah. We also find out that, shock horror, it was the Queen of Thorns that actually poisoned Joffrey. Right. Which is a proper... <laughs> like, I mean, I went back and read it, though, and she does, in retrospect, she even says that she's doing it. She's, like, kind of... <laughs> if, I forget what she says, but she's like, if men keep dropping dropping dead at their weddings, it's you know it's hard enough to get them to marry people as it is. And you know you can almost see her in retrospect walking away from that, drumming her fingernails together and going. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> yeah. So, so the key moment was apparently the, the poison was in Sansa's hairnet. Yeah. And as the Queen of Thorns, if you read back, she does mess with her hairnet and straighten it. And you assume at that point, takes the poison and drops it in Joffrey's, uh, Joffrey's cup. Yeah. Brazen. And then some. I mean, again, she's not got very much to lose, has she? But still, I mean, mm. I know this for me. Um, uh, there's a Father Ted episode where there's like some big revelation in front of a large crowd of people, and you hear this kind of like babble of, and then at the end of it, one one dude just goes, "Fucking hell!" And I I really <laughs> felt like that guy while I was reading this. Just I just read it, and I was like, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> Um, okay, yeah. So uh, Liza turns up, and she's—I mean, yeah, she's she's a bit nuts, isn't she? She, she seems to <laughs> be quite hard, yeah, and quite dangerously capricious, but also massively like you know sweet on Littlefinger. She is in. She is into him. Oh yeah, no matter what he says, she's uh, she's desperate to get married to him straight away. It's yeah. like her. Dreams come true, isn't it? This yeah. and there's this shotgun marriage where the uh, little thing is quite keen to to wait till they get up to the veil so they can have a big ceremony in front of everybody. Yeah, and no one can question whether or not they're married. Yeah, but Lysa's having none of it. They get married straight away, and then obviously, uh, as the good old Walder Frey used to say, or still does, I'm sure, with every wedding. There's a bedding. <laughs> that was a fantastic. <laughs> and there's impression. a very loud bedding in there. Oh, oh, it's wrong, isn't it? You just, you know, usually when there's a sex scene in this, I find it bearable because you can just kind of put on Barry White in the background, and then it makes it funny. But this one, like Barry White, wouldn't be equal to the task. Barry White would crack into it, and then two bars in, he'd be like, "You don't need me to be here. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go." <laughs> I think the the soundtrack to this would be Ride of the Valkyries. (laughs) (laughs) And the worst of it is... (laughs) (laughs) And the worst bit is right in the middle of it. I can just imagine Baelish not changing his facial expression at all, just still having that little tiny smug little... (laughs) Little grin that Aidan Gillen gives him in the TV series. That's it. Yeah. But all around him, the Vietnam War is continuing. <laughs> bam, bada, bam, bam. <laughs> well, while all this is going on, Sansa's wandering around downstairs and a good old Marillion. Do you remember Marillion? I, I, do, I do remember Marillion, who is still yet, yeah. by the way, to meet another character called Jethro Tull, and I think that is a crying bloody shame. Yeah. If you're going to go around yeah. naming naming <laughs> bards after 70s conceptual rock bands, go the whole hog. Do you know what I mean? Don't just do Marillion. Yeah. He does his best creepy, hey, how you doing, to Sansa, who's, let's we forget, still a child. Yeah. And um, and Lothar Brune, who's sort of Littlefinger's hired badass, a bit like Bronn is to Tyrion, mm. or was, mm. Um sort of steps in and says on your way mm. and uh, and yeah then later on there's this conversation with Sansa and Liza where Liza says there's a plan to uh, to get you hitched to my 
lovely sickly son Robin uh, who needs a submissive wife I think she uses those exact words she does I mean and Sansa's like Ooh. it's even better at the end of it she's like um, gratitude will better become you in your present circumstances yes and obedience my son will have a grateful and obedient wife which is a mm. bit rich to turn up and be like kind of you you marrying him I know he's not much of a looker I mean, even his insane mother, who loves him to the point of madness and beyond reason, <laughs> says, he's not strong. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll be grateful. Yeah. What? No. Fuck off. <laughs> I mean, I wonder, though, yeah. I wonder She's a- if, if, Sansa, if like, Sansa's ironclad desire to be a princess will survive even this. And if so, can we reclassify <laughs> that desire as, like, a legitimate, like... A legitimate illness of some description. Do you know what I mean? Like she's been she's been bitten by the crazy bug, and she's just like, yes, being a princess is the best thing ever. <laughs> Having been one, <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing about Robin, I think, and Lysa's relationship with him is that she's that classic super overprotective mother who everything about him. She always says she sort of plays on his weaknesses and almost makes them bigger so oh yeah he's he's very weak at this and oh he can't do that and he's protecting from, he, he basically yeah. is protecting from everything um, because she can't get bear to give up any control mm. and um, she even says in a couple of she had, he had a couple of friends but they were too rough so I had to send them away and you just think the little kid just doesn't have a chance does he? No, no chance oh and it's so sad as well because the thing is that this, this series is long enough that we could see him grow up and can you imagine can you imagine a grown-up, oh, oh, a commanding a force from the east, mm. all with crazy Sansa behind him. All right, let's let's get north. Let's get to the wall. Yes. Let's get to John, who last we heard is acting commander of the Night's Watch. Yes, score. There's a. This can't yeah. last for long. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this battle has descended into a real sort of war of attrition. Now it's been going on for days, possibly weeks. Mm. Um. And all they do every day is get up and fire arrows down from the wall and there's another skirmish by the wildlings and you just feel like it's it's almost developed into a World War One Western Front sort of two oh, yeah. one army which is too big to go home. Yeah. And one army which is too well dug in to be overturned. Yeah. There's news of Bowen Marsh, who took pretty much the remainder of the good fighters from Castle Black and went after some wildlings, and they've had this big battle uh, near the Shadow Tower, I think, uh, against the Weeper. Mm. And Boy Marsh won, but at a big cost, and he's been gravely wounded. Mm. And the sort of nobody's coming back to help Castle Black anytime soon, which isn't exactly the news that John was hoping for. Yeah, yeah. Um, t- today's attack is uh, Mans Raiders got the wildlings to get this big sort of turtle thing. It's basically a a, a movable wooden fortress which has been treated so it can't catch fire. Mm. And it very nearly reaches the gates. Uh, only some last minute uh, ice barrels being thrown down from the wall manages to crush it and uh, I loved and that. save the wall. I love that. It's very, just, as, as, great outside the box thinking, wasn't it? it? Fantastic. I mean, this is the thing. He's so, so sort of made for this role so good at doing that like who else would think like Frank, I would have been lost like three battles ago I would I would have been like I don't know 
<laughs> yell at them, use colourful language. And he's like, no, if we use gravel and water, we'll defeat them with gravel and water. How? <laughs> so I thought this is all very impressive. I liked it a lot. It's a good point. Yeah. I make those occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the problem that John has is he goes to sleep after another long day mm. and wakes up to find he's someone standing over him who escorts him to the, to the main hall where da, 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 reinforcements have turned up. Yes, it's Alistair Thorne and Janos Slint. Fuck. No. Of all the people, of all the people that have died, you know, like like there's just swathes been cut out of the Night's Watch. You know, there's nobody there. Nobody. And who survives? Who manages to bloody survive? Right. Friggin' Alistair Thorne and Janos Slint. The character nobody was waiting to have a comeback. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose this is what happens when you send the sort of worst people who you just want to get out of the way to the Night's Watch. Yeah. They turn up at the Night's Watch. <laughs> it's, it's not, and cause yeah. all manner of trouble. It's not a superb national defence strategy, is it? No. I mean, we, we've said this before. It's like the people who write into newspapers and say that, you know, all the paedophiles should be sent to, sent to the army. It's like, you, you don't understand what armies are for, do you? <laughs> They're not like prison, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Janice Slint reminds us all of how much of a wanker he is by A, constantly referring to himself in the third person and B, just <laughs> being completely uh, ghastly towards John uh, yeah. to the point of basically all the good work that John's done since coming back is put to one side because you know we want to talk about what happened with Corin Harfand and the Wildlings again. Mm. And it doesn't help that Rattleshirt's turned up as a prisoner, so he yeah. can say that John killed Corin Harfand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it ends with with John being being sent to the cells. <sighs> easy come, easy go. Hey, John. What a turnaround after this massive yeah. victory. Yeah, no kidding. And were we expecting this? I don't know. It seemed like things were going a bit too well for him. I mean, he might have been on the point of losing his battle and, and dying horribly in, in, in a war, but at least everybody was not treating him like shit. Mm. But wait, here's Alice Thorne to save the day. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, nah, it's not right. It's not right. Also, Thorne and Janice Slint are very insulting about Ned as well, like about how you, your dad was a traitor. And, and obviously, yeah. Janice Slint's got a, a murky bit of... Uh, shadowy dealings to cover up himself there, so he's really, uh, he really sort of milks the Ned was a traitor line, which yeah. again just just makes us feel even more resentment towards him. What's Alistair Thorne's angle on this? Is he a Lannister man or is he just taking every opportunity to be a dickhead? I think it's the latter. I think he just <laughs> hates Jon Snow, and yeah, yeah, beyond that, he just likes seeing someone like that squirm, doesn't he? Yeah, and it's, I find it really interesting because this is like this is like two grown men, two men past their prime, perhaps, acting exactly like nine-year-old schoolyard bullies, mm. and it's just so like there's there's something as well as as well as don't say that to the character. I like there's something just so contemptible in the fact that this is their like the first order of business when we arrive back. There's a wildling army on the side of the wall, but bring me the young recent recruit so I can drag <laughs> him over the coals one more time. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Very much that, isn't it? 
Um, so that that's where we leave it, and I'd, I'd suggest the Wolves' chances have has, have decreased significantly now. That oh, no, oh, Janos Slint's on the case, Matt. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's a man of honour and, and, and integrity and, and fighting ability. Yeah. Hang on. No, he's not. Yeah, we're <laughs> fucked. Yeah. I'm sure if uh, Mans Raider sends a couple of quid Janice's way, they'd all get through anyway, if anyone can get a message to him. <laughs> That's true. Dear Slint, having heard that you're a weaselly, backstabbing, lying son of a bitch, please find enclosed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last chapter for today, Tyrion. Tyrion, this why why do I have a why do I have a sinking feeling already at the start of this chapter? Yeah, because <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because we open with even Pod, good old Podrick Payne, um, mm. admitting that he thinks Tyrion's guilty, and Tyrion thinks, <laughs> well, <laughs> can't right, get then. much worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, but it can get worse because Tyrion's final day of the trial arrives, and. Final witness for the prosecution is Shay, who, uh, yeah, not only uh, makes up a load of lies about how Tyrion used to talk about how he was going to kill Joffrey, um, <laughs> along with San- along with the help of Sansa, um, she also says to the court that he always used to make her call him Giant of Lannister, which is even crueler because that is kind of she. It's a nickname she had for him, yeah. Um, and it's just oh, it's just so sad, isn't it? And he, he, you can almost, you can almost see Tyrion sort of wilting as uh, these things, as this is, as this is being said. Yeah, and it's just I was genuinely surprised by this because I have all along really been in a place where I expect Shay to to love Tyrion and at the very least not do something like this. But she doesn't even blink, does she? She just rides right into it, and she just knows exactly where to stick the knife again and again and again. Hmm. Really and sad. It, and it ends up with the entire sort of audience laughing at him, and it's yeah. just it's happened his whole life, hasn't it? And even now, when he's accused of the most serious crime in the kingdom, and he's on trial yeah. for his life, people are still laughing at him. Yeah. And it, there's this thing. He looks around and he's he thinks to himself, "I saved you all." Um, all your worthless lives. And it's just, again, it's the sense of injustice, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, he's had this offer, hasn't he, of confessing. Uh, he's had two offers. One, confess and get sent to the wall. And two, yeah. demand a trial by combat and the Viper's going to have a have a go for him and try yeah. and kill the mountain. Yeah. Um, in terms of box office, where I was hoping for the second. <laughs> yes, yeah, so was I, of, I won't lie. In terms of interesting plot, I could have, would have quite liked to see him up at the wall. But, um, yeah. I think this Shay evidence knocks it out of the park for him and he uh, confesses to being a dwarf. And Tywin says, You're not on trial for being a dwarf. And he says, I, I have been my entire life. And it really sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually. In a way, I've been waiting for um, for him to kind of make this make this statement for a long time, and I really like seeing it kind of brought out and placed front and center. Mm. You all consider my very mm. existence to be a crime, so it's kind of like it's a, a slightly more subtle version of one of those Hollywood kind of um, summations, courtroom summations that you see. Mm. You know, kind of where I'm. I'm putting the system itself on trial. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and it's it's 
it's a crowd pleaser for a very good reason. The system is frustratingly screwed up and is screwing over one of our favourite characters. Yeah. So I loved it when he did that. I really did. I like this line as well. Uh, you make me sorry I'm not the monster you all would have me be. And oh, uh, what there's a, a line! I tell you what, there's, there's an element of someone like, uh, I know Shylock or something uh, in this. Oh, where it's like yeah. Merchant of Venice, sort of like, you know, if you prick me, do I not bleed? Yeah. Uh, Actually, that's very true. Yeah. In all this, there is a moment of sort of savage joy for Tyrion, and I suppose a bit for us, when mm. Tywin realises that it's all suddenly gone wrong. Because when Tyrion says, I'm going to confess, Tywin's almost got everything he wants. He's, he's wanted Tyrion out of, out of the way for for years, but obviously yeah. he doesn't want him killed, and now he's going to, he's almost getting that until Tyrion says, I'm not going to confess to, to killing the king, so I didn't do it. I demand a trial by combat. And then <laughs> the, uh, the the viper sort of languidly gets up and goes and says, "Yeah, so uh, so I'm going to be the champion." And they and you can <laughs> it says that there was an uproar in the courtroom, and you can imagine it, can't you? <laughs> it's like everyone's just loving it. Going, yes, go on. <laughs> That's actually true, isn't it? It's not the kind of shocked shocked hubbub of of uh, of you know people you know outraged proprietary it's the voice of the mob going who's gonna fucking kill him <laughs> <laughs> i could just imagine if this was a comedy like uh the viper getting up and just going and how we're the champion hit him play and two tribes go to war coming yeah <laughs> yeah and then just moonwalking back and forth in front of the panel yeah. he starts <laughs> tagging <laughs> hands in the ground yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does a little strut kisses, kisses Tommy and AK the guns let's go to war go to war yeah. Magnificent. I've so, I've I've not seen this in the TV series yet, so I'm absolutely crying out for that <laughs> to actually happen, and it's not, and that's sad. Yeah. Uh, so so Tyrion's sent back to his cell to await you know the next day in the actual trial by combat. Yeah. Um, he he can he thinks about how he really has fucked things up for his dad, no matter what happens to him now, and he's quite yeah. happy with that. You know if yeah. if. This battle goes against Tyrion. He dies, but also the the Viper dies, and that means that there's all kinds of problems with Dawn because this yeah. guy's turned up looking for justice and ended up dead. Yeah. On the other hand, if the Red Viper wins, um, Tyrion's had this offer to go and uh, visit Dawn and maybe stay there and help raise up a rebellion anyway. Yeah. Um, and also, you'll have the Tyrells furious at the fact that this guy's uh you know Tyrion's tried to poison uh yeah. Joffrey and his wife by association and he's gotten away with it and the red viper who wounded the heir to Highgarden is also walking free as well yeah bad news for Tywin no matter what happens now and it, it's difficult to kind of argue with that isn't it mm, yeah the mountain he is massive isn't he I mean, he's, he's mountainous, book, mountainous, in fact. Yeah, you really get a sense when this fight begins of just the sheer size of the bloke. And uh, 
the Red Viper's fighting, Oberyn's fighting with a spear because he, he thinks it's the only way to get past the uh, the mountain's massive two-handed greatsword. Mm. And also, he's in a similar way to Strong Belwas for um, for Daenerys. He's 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 not just fighting; he's putting on a show, isn't he? And he wants to humiliate the mountain and just uh, throw this guilt out in front of everybody who's watching. So yeah. throughout the fight, he just keeps shouting at the mountain: "You raped her! You murdered her! You killed her children!" And there's a real sense of this is so much more than just a a yeah. fight or even dealing out justice by the by uh, by violence for Oberyn, isn't it? It really is. And I tell you what, I found it. I found it so powerful, actually. I thought it was incredibly well staged. I found it so powerful that it overcame the fact that it was almost exactly the same as Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. <laughs> my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. It's exactly <laughs> that, but just done kind of with extra volume. Mm-hmm. And so even though I'm hearing that in my head, this was still really powerful and it was still really impressive. I liked it a lot. Yeah. His constant accusations actually get the hound angry, don't they? Mm. He he's obviously affected by it, and uh, he ends up charging at Oberyn. Oberyn mm. just gets out of the way, and this poor stable boy gets pretty much cut in half. Yeah, uh, and it's just a a little reminder of the fact that there are people watching here, but it it is still kind of dangerous if you're just standing around as some massive bloke swinging around a two-handed greatsword. Yeah, it's it's sort of thing, isn't it, where as a spectator sport, it has a certain tang. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And I wonder if there's people who are stupid enough to take away from that, like sort of wounds. I got the wound, this wound off the mountain, and I'm still alive. Oh, yeah. I must sure, be really badass. Yeah. This guy doesn't, clearly, though, because he cuts his head in half. <laughs> Just as a sort of afterthought as well, like chops his yeah. arm off by mistake and then goes... As though he's <laughs> affronted himself by failing to kill somebody with the first blow. Yeah, um, that's the last person. Well, actually, it turns out the second to last person the mountain kills, mm. because uh, Alberin wins the fight insofar as he manages to reflect the sunlight in the hounds in the the mountain's face, mm. and then gets him twice with this spear, mm. and down goes the mountain on his back. Uh, Oberyn stabs him through the, uh, pretty much pins him to the ground, through, through, like sort of stabs him through his body into the ground as mm. he jumps over him. It's a bit of a sort of a special move. It's almost like the people's elbow, it's a people's spear, and um, and he goes back to he goes back to the the mountain, two hundred greatsword in hand, ready to finish him off. Mm. And then there's this. I mean, Tyrion says, murmurs to someone next to him, I'm feeling more innocent by the minute. Hmm. And then... Uh, Oh, Tyrion. Almost almost WWE, WWF-style reversal. Yeah. Where, although intensely more violent, obviously, (laughs) the the mountain grabs Oberyn, yanks him down, and basically kills him with his bare hands. Unbelievable. Well, very believable, but really dramatic. And even though I went into this with my customary expectation that a favourite character was going to get dicked over because this is a George R. R. Martin novel, I was still, at this point, I was like, this is awesome, this is awesome, he's going to win it, this is amazing, Tyrion's going to get away with it again. Crunch. Yeah. Wow, wow. 
And it, yeah, and even more so when you're reading it, when he's shouting these accusations out, you wonder if, whether the mountains really even aware of who he's talking about, or if just so much killings just just yeah. one big blur. And then at the end, he he's almost um, reveals that he knows about it, where he, he sort of rasps in Oberyn's ear, doesn't he? That mm. he did do it, and that mm-hmm. he's obviously and, and this is how, and then he kills him. Mm-hmm. And wow, he, he really. He really lives up to his billing as a real monster, doesn't he, the, the mountain? He really does. Although I have a sense there that, like, I kind of heard a little echo of the Hound in the fact that the Hound knows how to be use very blunt language as a weapon when he needs mm. to. And I, I kind of sense that this this was what he was the mountain was doing here. I don't think he really remembered. I think he just mm. knew it was gonna it was gonna be a great ending line, a great way to shit up an enemy. Yeah. Um, I don't think he really remembered at all. He just repeated back what the guy said, but in more offensive language. Mm. Yeah. And the chapter ends with Tyrion being hauled off to the black cells to await execution. Well, we all remember that, you know, Ned, Ned went into those cells and it all worked out all right for him, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. What a, what a dramatic end to this part of the book. No kidding. Like... I mean, so there's a bit of me that's like, this can't possibly happen. But on the other hand, on the this book has seen the death of a lot of characters who I would have thought were completely indispensable to the plot. Mm. I, I mean, I w- was really shocked with uh, with Oberyn's death because sort of he's not even been around that long. He's been built up as a really big character, and we're just getting to know him. It just seems like, yeah, literally no one's safe. Even if you're sort of on the way up in terms of your character arc, yeah. you can just disappear. There you go, yeah. George Martin is not to be trusted. <laughs> not at all. Um, have you any thoughts on the death of the Viper? And uh, um, I assume the mountain, because is he going to survive that? Is that a spear through his belly? I, well, I, who can say? He is made out of, you know, made like the proverbial brick shithouse, so mm. he could survive. I know. Hmm. Well, if you have any thoughts on that fight or anything else that's happening in the uh, Storm of Swords universe at the moment, you can send us an email, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or we're on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Dave, are you ready for the next bit? Or I'm always, I was you... born ready. I was born ready. <laughs> Can you take any more big character deaths and drama? Oh, I don't fucking know. I, like, there's a bit of me that just expects the next one to be like, and then a nuclear weapon fell from the skies and everybody died at the end. <laughs> Thousands of years later, new life started to evolve. Like, I'm, I'm now putting nothing past him at all. Mm. Well, shall I uh, tell you where we're going to next? Where are we going to next? We're reading from this uh, next chapter, which is about Daenerys, page 403. Daenerys broke her fast under the persimmon tree. And let's go as far as page 468, uh, which is a chapter about Sam. Let me have a look. (laughs) (laughs) I was just in the first line. Really? Is it a bad one again? No, it's not bad. It's just like that wasn't a that wasn't a laugh of that wasn't sophisticated <laughs> at all. That was just schoolboy. <laughs> okay. Uh Sa- <laughs> Sam's chapter begins, Dave. He sucks harder than mine. Yes. <laughs> a slight left turn in the storytelling style there, I feel. 
<laughs> what is Sam? What is Sam up to? Yeah, what is, what is he resorting to? Really, is <laughs> my question. However, however, we're loyal to our listeners and to this book, and we will see it through. Yeah. So uh, enjoy that. Um, enjoy Sam's. Uh, oh, you won't be reading that. That's where you stop reading for next time. And uh, we will. We will discuss that part of the book next we week. We will. We will. And until then, Dave, happy reading. I, I imagine I will have, if only because I don't have to read that Sam chapter just yet. <laughs> <laughs> Till then. Laters. <laughs>